really good to see you. Uh, those of you who are joining us online, welcome. My name is Steve Cunningham. I get to be the lead pastor here at Wellhouse and grateful for all the wonderful things that are coming up uh, for us here at Wellhouse, the things we get to do in the community. Uh, one of the things that uh, that's coming up, you get to be a part of. Every year we do something called Hope for the Holiday. We, we typically find people in our community that need a little extra help around the holiday season. And uh, we go out and we shop, we buy Christmas presents, not just for kids, but for families. And this year we have a, a, a different opportunity. We have partnered with some amazing people in our community uh, to do uh, something called, we're calling this year the, the Legacy Gala. And we hope that it's going to be uh, an, an annual event where we are going to be recognizing some people in our community that are doing some really awesome things. Some young kids, some not so young kids. Uh, it's going to be a great time. And as a part of that Legacy Gala, we are raising funds uh, and uh, Wellhouse will get the opportunity like we have uh, for the last many years to go out, take those funds and, and do Christmas shopping for 150 uh, children in the foster care system. We're excited to be able to do that, uh, but I want to let you know that there is some opportunity for you, not just to do what we've typically done in the past, although you can do that. I know many of you are uh, good at wrapping gifts or shopping, things like that, but also coming out to the gala. If you want to buy tickets for that, I know some people are like, I don't want to get fancy. I'm not about that, like, suit and tie life. Listen, I was raised a poor farm kid. Like, uh, the, about the only time I ever put on a suit is um, when my wife makes me. And, um, you know, uh, probably when I get married and when I die. That's it, you know. Um, but if, if, if you're not suit and tie life, come on out. Wear whatever you want. Uh, just, just come on out and support it. We'd love to have you out there. Uh, it's going to be a great time. There's going to be music, and there'll be uh, dancing, and there'll be all kinds of fun stuff and raising money uh, for for this awesome um, thing. Uh, I want to, Kyle, if you'll come on up, uh, I want to let you know, oh, several months ago, we did a series where we were talking about your gifting and uh, it kind of started some conversations. Different people were looking at uh, different ways in which they felt like God was gifting them to step in and serve. And so many of you have done that. Kyle and I had a conversation uh, a couple of months ago now. And uh, if you don't know Kyle and Kalisha, their family has been with us for almost two years now. And Kyle's background has been serving in ministry uh, in various uh, churches and uh, capacities. And uh, so we've had the conversation and, and Kyle said, listen, I, I don't want to like get into full-time ministry or part-time ministry, but I would love to serve the church however best I can. And so Kyle has agreed to, uh, uh, and this is only by the grace of God, because he, uh, he knows the work that goes into uh, to serving a church, but he has graciously uh, said, listen, I'll volunteer um, 20, 25 hours a week to help out with whatever you need. And I'm like, wow, I don't even know what to do with that. Like, no, nobody ever says that, right? And so uh, we have talked and, and talked about various roles, and we talked with the lead team and our shepherding team about that. And so uh, we, we want to let you guys know that Kyle is going to take on a volunteer position uh, as our connections and administrative pastor here at Wellhouse. And so that will, yeah, give him a, a hand. Uh, we appreciate that so much. 
uh, he'll be looking after things like our small groups and, and how to get people plugged in a little bit better and discipleship stuff and then things on the back end uh, of, of just trying to keep up with all the, the logistics of things uh, that will help free up some some of my time and some of Chris's time to do some other things. And so we're really excited and appreciate Kyle and his heart for serving the local church and, and all that they mean to us. So would you join me in prayer this morning uh, for Kyle? God, we are so thankful uh, for opportunities to serve you. We're so thankful for Kyle and his willingness to uh, to just serve this body of believers here at Wellhouse uh, because we know that it means so much to him um, to be able to utilize those gifts. So God, we uh, ask that you would give him strength and stamina and wisdom and discernment and uh, just the courage to to move forward in that task. God, we're so thankful for his willing heart to step up and serve where he can, where his giftings are. We just pray a blessing over him and Kalisha. We ask that you would uh, protect him and Kalisha and their family uh, from attacks uh, of Satan and and uh, we are just, again, so thankful for, for him and his willingness and his heart in that. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, brother. Yeah, give him a round of applause. We're excited to have him. Uh, he's joined us the last couple of weeks in our, in our staff meetings. It's great to, to have some of his uh, expertise and wisdom uh, joining our team there. It's been uh, wonderful. And to let you know that we are, uh, again, uh, looking to add another person to our team, somebody we're calling the next-gen pastor. We've said this before. We'll say it again, that that uh, we see changing the landscape of our community really starts by reaching out to our next-gen, those people who are coming up behind us and, and helping them, encouraging them in their faith. And so we've been looking over the last couple of months now of who the right person is to put in that position, and we've narrowed that down through multiple interviews to uh, three candidates that over the next about six weeks or less, we'll be bringing those people in. You'll get a chance to meet them, get to know them a little bit as they'll be hanging out with us at Wellhouse. So feel free to introduce yourself if you see a new face. Uh, that might be one of those, and we'll try to let you know uh, about that. Uh, over this past week, uh, I'm sure you've watched the news and, and, and read reports and all those kinds of things about all the turmoil and conflict in Israel and Gaza and uh, the various lives that uh, have been taken. And, and I'm sure that you have lots of emotions or thoughts or feelings or opinions about all of those things. But what I want to let you know is that our God is a God of love. He's a God of peace and he is a God of redemption. And so in the chaos and the turmoil and all the uncertainties and the tragedy and loss of life, we pray that God restores quickly. We believe in a redeeming God who is with those who are brokenhearted and hurting. And so we're going to take a moment to pray now for that. God, we come to places like this that are heavy and hard and difficult, that seem like bigger problems than we even know what to do or how to talk about. But God, we pray that your peace would reign. We pray for protection. We pray that, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done now. 
today. Father, protect those who are innocent. Protect children and those who, who have uh, lost lives, lost family members. Father, our, we feel so weak and vulnerable in situations like this, but we know that you are not. And we trust in that. So we offer up these prayers to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Uh, over the last couple of weeks together, we have been going through a series that we've called uh, Built for This. And the whole idea behind Built for This is that some things we feel naturally gifted for, some things that just kind of seem suited for us, uh, and then there are things in our life that don't come as, as easily. Um, I remember as a kid, uh, my parents actually took us to a roller skating rink and it was for a party that my school was putting on. So of course, you know, all the kids go and I want to go hang out with my friends and my buddy, uh, who, whose name was Brandon, he was like born to skate. I don't know. I've never seen anybody like at that age, like he was, uh, those of you who know a lot of about skating, like he was shooting the duck, which apparently has nothing to do with guns or ducks, but uh, he was shooting the duck. He, that means you get down low on one wheel, the other foot's out in front of you, and he could do that in the entire way around the roller skate without falling over. Then there's me, <laughs> and I was not built for that, right? I tried and I tried. It just didn't come naturally to me. It never has come naturally to me. I like both feet flat on the floor. That's just how I operate best. There's some things that come naturally. There's some things that don't, but here's the deal. We are built for things that sometimes don't come so naturally to us. And we have to learn how to develop those things in our life. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking a little bit about that. The first week we talked about this idea that we're made to worship, that we are actually created to worship something. And if you don't choose what that something is, then you'll have a default generally of worshiping yourself. This can be dangerous, but there is a, a garden in your mind that you cultivate all the time by the things that you put in your mind, the things that you think about. And so out of that produces a crop of whatever it is that you worship. And so we talked about this idea of, of trying to develop a, a worshipful life to our creator. And then last week we talked about this idea of building up self-control. And I don't know about you, but as I kind of prepared for that, that lesson and then taught that lesson, I realized I have a lot more areas in my life that I need self-control. We talked about this idea that we all have desires. Nobody in this room uh, can live free of, of the area of self-control in their life where they have it all down pat. Now, some of us are more controlled in certain areas and less controlled in others, but all of us have an area in our life where our desires creep up and it's really hard to kind of flex our self-control muscle. And we talked about this, that our desires for what we want now, the thing that are kind of pressing in on us, always threaten what we want later. We know this to be true. Some of us, it's like, it's that money thing, right? We're like, all right, we really want to save up for this thing, but then, now we have an opportunity. It's right in front of us like, man, I'm yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and buy that thing. And all of a sudden it's like, well, all the work I had saved up for, it's all gone. Or maybe you're like, all right, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really get going on the gym and I, I, I need to start doing that thing. But, 
you know, but tomorrow, <laughs> right? I'm not, not, not going to happen today, whatever it is. And so what's right in front of us, what we want now, the desire, almost always threatens what we want for our future self. And so we have to build up the muscle of self-control. I, uh, I don't know if you're like me or not, but I found something I wrestled with this week uh, in light of last week's sermon that I recognize as a part of who I am. And maybe you'll identify with this too, but this is true certainly of me. That I found that I never have enough until I have too much. I never have enough until I have too much. If, uh, if, you, if, if you are, uh, if you're going to come over to my house uh, if we have, like, if I've made just enough burgers and, you know, brats on the grill and everybody is eaten, I feel like I did not make enough. I need to make double the amount because then if people don't have the opportunity to go home with, like, extras or, or there's not food sitting over, then I have not made enough. And I don't know about you in this, but this is certainly true for me. Like if I budget out to the, to the dollar, right, and then I spend it all and there's nothing left, I feel like I don't have enough. Like I need to have some kind of reserve there, right, because just having enough doesn't feel like enough. And so what I found about myself is that I live oftentimes with a scarcity mindset, that I'm never going to have enough, that's an endless void of small things like burgers and brats on a grill to larger things in my life where I constantly worry if it's going to be enough. And it caused me to think about that this week as I reflected on Jesus' prayer. Do you remember the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray? Remember the part in there where he said, Give us this day our, our daily bread. And that prayer was a prayer of the people. It was a, a prayer of the Jews at that time where they were under Roman oppression and about 90% of the Jews were living below a poverty line, meaning they didn't know what they were going to eat tomorrow. They just had to worry about eating today. And so when he was praying, he was praying the people's prayer that they would be praying, God, just give me food for today. And what I find interesting is as Jesus is teaching them to pray, he doesn't say, and listen, uh, God, would you give us enough food for the month so that we don't have to, because we just don't want to worry about it. That's all. We just don't want to have to worry about it. So if you just supply more than what we need, that would be great. And as he teaches them to pray, he doesn't include that. He just says, give us today our daily bread. Because it's enough. And I wondered this week, like, if I started praying that prayer, like, God, just meet my need today. I don't need any more than that. Would I be content with God in that? If God just gave you what you needed today, would you be able to find contentment in that and here's what is true, again, for me, and maybe it's not for you, but I like to think it's kind of across the board as being human. 
is that oftentimes when I don't feel like I have enough, I feel like I need to step in and do something more. We see this happen in the lives of the Israelites, God's people, right? Where they feel like, all right, God is not doing, he's not stepping up to his role. Remember Abraham? Are we there? There we are. We just keep cutting. Do we keep cutting now? I'll try to not move so much. How about I just stay still? We'll just, we'll just stay in this zone right here. Uh, remember that where he felt like God was being slow in his promise. And so he's like, all right, listen, I'm going to take things into my hand. It's time for me to control because this thing isn't happening the way that I thought it should. And so it's time for me to kind of step things up. And have you ever been there before where it's like, all right, I know that this isn't enough. I don't feel like it's enough. And so what I need to do is kind of step up the game and I need to take control. And here's the thing. When we live that way, here's what happens. That a quest for more often leads to a grasp for greater control. That somehow there's something that needs to happen more. And so the only way the more is going to happen is if I grasp for greater control in this. And somehow through my greater control, I can make the more happen. And we have this happen a lot of times in our lives. We see things that we want to be better. And so the way it would be better is if I did it, then it'd be better. I don't like the environment I'm in. I need to change you, and I need to change the kids, and I need to change this situation, and I, I need, you know, for my life to be. So the best way to do that is for me to grab control. Now, here's the deal. We're all responsible, and we all have responsibility, and there's nothing wrong with us taking that responsibility. The problem is, is when we become discontent with an endless search, an endless quest for more. And we think that that is up to us. Because here's what we know already is that no matter what we have, it will never feel like enough until it's too much. And if you're anything like me, you've probably found this to be true, that the harder I try to grasp for more control, the more out of control things become. How many of you have ever watched somebody's life spiral kind of out of control? They start making poor decisions and you're like, oh, this is not going to go well. And so you start trying to step in and make decisions for them. It's like, no, 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 here's what you need to do. And the more you try to take control of that situation, the more it becomes outside of your control. And then you realize things are spiraling way more out of control than what they were originally. The, you, the more you try to, to emphasize your will on something, the, the more you're hated, the more you're pushed back, the, the more out of the picture and the, the less control you feel. I realize that's true in my life and that might be true for your, you and your life as well. And today, I want you to kind of buckle in and, you know, keep your elbows tucked in. You may, you may feel like you want to bump uh, your partner who's next to you. Today, I, I want to hit home something that I think is so prevalent in our society and so prevalent with us that it, it may shake the core of who we are, but I think that that needs to happen sometimes. See, here's the truth is that you were not created to be the one in control. As much as you think you have the right answers to all of life's questions, 
you don't. I love our Thursday morning group. We meet every Thursday morning at Cracker Barrel from about 7.30 in the morning till 9 or 9.30, depending on how good the conversation is. Uh, some people cut out early, so I don't know what that means, but uh, just kidding. And most of the time we talk about some of the world problems that we come up against. We, we solve them all within about an hour and a half, and it's great. Here's what I know is true, and I think we all do, is that even if we had it our way, it would not go as smoothly as we would like to think it would. As much as I love you and I care about you, you do not have the market on great ideas. You don't get to define truth. You do not have the answers for everything because you were designed, you were built to be dependent. And I know that goes against the core of everything you have ever been taught. Be strong, be independent, don't need anybody for anything, you be your own person. I just want to let you know those are lies. You were built to be dependent. And that's not Steve theology or Steve philosophy or Steve ideas. This is straight from the mouth of Jesus himself. If you have your Bible, open up to John chapter 15. I love the book of John. It's probably my favorite book in the, uh, in the Bible. And I love the way that John writes. I love the stories that he tells from Jesus because we don't get them anywhere else. So I appreciate him recording those things. But John, uh, John records Jesus as kind of he is closing out his earthly ministry with his disciples. And he's passing along some truths to them that they need to know, that they need to hear, that they need to be reminded of. And Jesus is is passing along these hard truths and he gets to a point and he needs them to know that they are not independent. That they do not have the market on all the great ideas. They do not get to define truth. They don't have the answers for everything because they, like you and I, are designed to be dependent. This is what it says in John chapter 15 starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. And he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No fruit or no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me, you're like a branch that is, uh, if you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Now remain in my love. 
And if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and I remain in his love. And I've told you this, so that my joy may be complete in you, and that your joy may be complete. This is kind of his, his last segment of teaching to his disciples. And there's so much in here that I think we can lose, especially I remember reading this over and over again as a, as a young person. And I'm like, there's a lot of like fruit and gardening stuff. And I'm, I don't care about any of that. So, you know, what does it really mean to me? And here's what I got to learn as I'm a little bit older is that that kind of that philosophy uh, kind of goes through, it permeates through all of life. In our house, uh, my wife decorates it so it looks nice. Uh, if it were up to me, it probably would not look nearly as great. Uh, but one of the things that she does throughout almost every room of our house is there is a, there's a plant. And uh, most of them are not alive. Um, probably good reason for that in a family of eight, you know, like we're, we try to remember to feed and water the dog every day. Like that's, that's, we're doing well with that, you know, and if we had to go walk around and, and water all of the plants, that would probably not be so great. But some of the plants that she has looks real. You'd look at that thing and you'd swear up and down that it's real until you got close enough to figure out that no, it's a, it's a fake plant. It's not a real plant. You don't have to worry about watering it, but as Jesus defines himself, and this is huge because in the Gospel of John, Jesus has seven I am statements. I, I talked to our kids about this over the, the last couple of months together as we did our devotional time. And I, and I asked them the question, all right, like if, if somebody's going to say like, who are you? You would say, well, I am, and you might fill in the blank. I'm smart or I'm funny or I'm handsome or whatever it is that you would fill in the blank. I, I work at this or I have this many kids or I'm married or whatever it is. Jesus has seven of those, and one of them is here. In fact, this is the last one. And he says, I'm not just the vine, I'm the true vine. Meaning that there's going to be other sources that look like they bring life. That they look good, that they seem like they, they, have, they have something that would be drawing us in. But they aren't the true vine. In fact, in those things, there is no real life at all. It's like those plants in my house. Man, they look great. And they add so much to the core. And they make our house feel like a home. But there is no life in any of them. And Jesus says, man, there's a lot of vines you could attach your life to. But none of them will actually give you life. You can attach yourself to control or money or relationship or even a church. And those things are not the source of life. Jesus says, it's it. I'm it. I'm the only source of life that you will find. And then Jesus says this, not only am I the true vine, but you have a role too. You're the branches. And you think to yourself, well, that's cool because branches are big and kind of hang out there, you know. 
And yesterday, actually, over the, over the course of the, this past week, a few times, I've taken my kids outside, and we had some, some big trees that have fallen and some big branches that have fallen, and we've cut those things up, hauled them off to the fire. And what I learned about that process is sometimes trees that look good and healthy wind up losing branches that aren't. See, the branches that aren't are disposable. And you can't take a branch, you know, that's fallen off a tree. I had this vision in my mind this week of taking this huge branch, which looked, you know, massive. And, and, and this thing is hard to even pull around. And like, could I put it as a part of another tree? Would it provide shade somewhere else? But the thing is, it can't function on its own. Apart from the tree, apart from the vine, it's useless. And Jesus said, no, 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 I don't want you to get any understanding. You're dependent. The second you think you got things figured out, the second you think, oh, man, I got, I got all of life straightened out, everything's under my control, I can do whatever I need to do in my life. He says, no, 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 that's not the way it's worked. That's not even the way you're built. You're built to be dependent. And truly, you're built to be dependent on me. See, the branch doesn't function on its own. It needs to be attached. It needs to remain in order to function. And in fact, here in this section of Scripture, in 11 verses, uh, the word remain or abide uh, is spoken 11 times. It's a lot. If you read through it, you see it over and over and over again that Jesus keeps saying, remain in me as I'll remain in you. As I remain in the Father, remain in me. You need to remain with me. Don't forget, don't forget to remain in me. You're, you're dependent on me. Don't forget to remain in me. The question is, with a lot of fake vines in our life and a lot of things that we have a hard time figuring out, is this the truth? Is that the truth? And how do we know for sure if we're being dependent or remaining with the true vine? And as I look back over this list, there's a couple of things that stuck out to me that I just want to challenge you with. And you could probably look at this and come up with a few more things. But these are the things that kind of hit home for me. The first one is this, that, that if you are attached to the true vine, you will bear fruit in your life. You'll bear fruit in your life. That's just what it means to be attached to the true vine. Over and over again through this, Jesus talks about bearing fruit. And in fact, we read in other places about the fruit of the Spirit. That there's something that cultivates in our life. So what is this fruit? Imagine for a moment that I thought, you know what my, my property needs is an apple tree. But I don't want to plant a whole tree because that sounds like a lot of work. And so I go over to the nearest uh, apple orchard and I break off a branch that has apples on it. And I bring it over to all my trees because I have, a, I have a several at my house. And, and I just start trying to graft that thing on there in hopes that I'll have apples off of at least that branch. 
Now, those of you who know much about gardening, you know that won't work. Those of you who don't know much about gardening still know that won't work. (laughs) We get that process, right? Because here's the thing, the fruit that will develop in our life will look like the vine that we are attached to. I want to say it again because I think it's meaningful to you. The fruit that we bear in our life will look like the vine that we are attached to. Do you find yourself overly stressed and busy? Do you find yourself with this quest of never enough, never enough? Do you find yourself with this thing, man, I'm I'm constantly battling pride and it just seems like that's the thing that kind of comes up in my life over and over and over again. And the question for me is this, maybe, just maybe, you've attached yourself to the wrong vine looking for different fruit. Oh yeah, certain things will produce things in your life. It's just not the fruit that God says that he'll give us. See, the fruit that will bear in our life, it may not be prosperity. You may not attach yourself to the, to the true vine of Jesus and then all of a sudden be like a multimillionaire and life on easy street and you know everything worked out with your kids or your spouse or your job or whatever it is. But the fruit that will develop in your life looks a whole lot like Jesus' life. And Jesus' life wasn't always easy, but it was good. See, the fruit that will develop in our life will look a lot like the vine we're attached to. The other thing that Jesus says in this is that in John chapter 15, verse 16, a few verses later, he says that this fruit is a fruit that will last. Meaning it lasts way beyond this life. I want you to think about somebody who you know who has passed and the legacy that they've left behind. See, some people, they are dead and gone and so is their money. And so is their power. And so is their fame. And so is their job. And so is their legacy. But there's other people you know and it's like, the way that they lived and the way that they love and the way that they pass along wisdom and caring and compassion and generosity, it like took root in you and it changed your life. See, as Jesus talks about it, he says, listen, my fruit may not look like some of the world's fruit, but my fruit will last. You want to know how, you're, how, how, you, how well grafted in? It's a fruit that lasts. It's a fruit that never dies. It's a fruit that carries on into future generations. So if we know we're being dependent upon the true vine, we will bear a fruit and a fruit that lasts. The second thing, and this is hard, is that we will be pruned. Verse 2 of chapter 15, he says this, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And you're like, that makes sense. Good. Wasn't doing anything anyway. Got that thing off. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So be even more fruitful. Stop. So every branch gets cut? You mean there's a pruning for everybody? I mean, there's a part of my life that's going to have to go through some difficult seasons in order for me to bear more fruit in my life? And Jesus would say, yes, 
See, church, if you don't occasionally have to go through some time in your life where things are getting transformed and you're getting changed and things are cut back or pruned, then I want to let you know that you are not attached to the vine. There is, there's a culture in our society today that says like, whatever's true for you, go for it. And if you meet up against some kind of resistance, man, you leave that alone. That's not, that's not about this life. You do what's good for you. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. That's not the way it is. If you want to grow in this life and become more like me, there's some pruning in your life that's going to have to happen. And I realize that's not popular. It's not a popular teaching today. That's just a truth teaching today. And we have to understand that a part of following God is a reforming process. It's a pruning process. It's, it's a process where God is transitioning us to make us look more like him in our world today. And man, is it easy? No. Is it painful? Sometimes very but he says, that's what it looks like to be attached to the vine. That sometimes the father looks down and he says, man, I need to reshape you. Ouch. I need to cut some things back in your life. Mm. And that's a part of being attached to the true vine. See, we're pruned to experience more growth. And if I was to sit down with you in coffee and ask the last time you truly grew as a person in your life, my guess is this, is that you would say, man, the last time I experienced a real hardship. In fact, most people that I know, the time where they experience the most hardship in their life is the time where they grew in their spirituality, in their faith, in their walk. Because God uses some of those moments to prune us in our life to grow more fruit, to become more like him. But I don't want to leave it bleak just there because then you're like, man, Steve, that was, woo, I'm ready to go out and tackle the world now, you know. And Jesus doesn't leave it there. In fact, he says, like, there's going to be this, this part where, where you're going to grow fruit, and there's going to be time of, of pruning where, you know, it's going to be painful. But then there's going to be this part where it's joy. In fact, this is what he says. I have told you this. He told me what? All this stuff. Everything about your dependence on me, everything about this bearing fruit, everything about this pruning. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. See, the world defines joy as an emotion. It's usually marked by a pleasant experience. Right? It's like we had this celebration and everybody was so joyful. You could look on their face, it was full of joy. Right? It's, it's, it's something positive happened and it's an emotional response to this. But throughout the Bible, if you look at various times throughout the Bible when the word joy is used, it's not generally a situation that's super positive. In fact, throughout the Bible, we see a different definition of joy, this, this Greek word kara. And it's based on situations not of a, uh, uh, an immediate uh, pleasant interaction, but of 
a future understanding of peace. So as the nation of Israel uh, flees from uh, captivity and they go through the desert and they're there for 40 years, there's a time where it says the whole nation was full of joy. I don't know about you, but wandering in the desert for 40 years does not feel like a fun experience. And yet, they're full of joy. Here's what I've realized in my life is that you won't have the kind of joy that looks at a, a present situation and understands this peace that's coming apart from Jesus. You just won't have it. And Jesus says, I'm giving you this so that my joy may be in you, that, that you'll understand that this future you is not dependent on what's right now, but it's something that's producing in you that you understand that the future is with me and that if you remain in me, there's nothing that can touch you. If you're dependent on me, there's, there's nothing that you should have to ever worry about. It may not feel like enough in this life. And there may be things that are like, man, I wish I had more of. I wish I could gain more control over. I wish I had some kind of power over this situation. He says, you don't have to worry about it. Just remain in me. This is what it looks like to be dependent. And here's the truth is that Sometimes we look at dependence as weak. Like if we're like, man, that person is needy. It's, they just can't do anything on their own. But then I think about my kids. And I think I would never, ever want their time to be where in their life they're like, I can't reach out to my dad. I got to be dependent no matter what happens. I'm going through this hard time, and I, I don't want to bother them. I don't want to seem weak. I want to seem needy, so I'm just going to try to do this on my own. I said, no, 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 no. Like, I'm not a perfect dad, but I love you, and I'm always here for you. And you can always depend on me. And if that, that's me as an imperfect father, then it's super true of a perfect father in Christ. See, your dependence upon God is not a weakness. It's a reminder of how much God loves you. That he would say, no, no matter what stage of life you are in, I love you. And you are always welcome to come to me. I love the way that John writes this as Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I love you and now remain in my love. It's a reminder of love before he goes on and he says, keep my commands. Not keep my commands and then I love you. I love you. It's first. It's paramount. It's true to who I am and it's true to who you are. And because you remain in me, because you understand my love, because you know that you can always depend on me, I'm not this father who's looking to chastise you or who's always looking to prune you or cut you back. I love you and you can depend on me. It's because of that that everything else flows, that the fruit flows, that your dependence more on him flows.
Let your ability to follow his commands flow. It's because of this dependence that we gather around the table every week, knowing that we can't save ourselves. You can't be good enough. You can't be true enough. You can't be right enough. You can't save yourself. You're dependent upon a God who loves you. And so we gather around the tables today. There's one on either side. And you can gather around with your family and friends today and partake in the Lord's Supper. This reminder that God loves you and that you can depend on his love for you. So would you stand up as we pray a blessing and then are dismissed to the tables. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who's before all things and through all things and in all things, both now and forever. Amen. You're dismissed at the tables.